All right, so uh, we're starting a new series uh, this morning called uh, Trust Matters. And I want to talk to you uh, over the next several weeks about uh, the preeminence of trust, why trust is uh, such an important issue. Uh, I used to be of the assumption that uh, trust was one of the very first things that God would begin to uh, instruct and teach newborn babes in Christ, you know, the, one of the, like Christianity 101, uh, one of the fir- first things that we need to uh, get in our hearts about, you know, entering into a relationship with God. And, and I, I, I'm still of that opinion. I do think it's, it's paramount, and, and it's one of the first things that God does begin to teach. But what I've come to discover is that, is that it, it really is a lifelong learning process. And there really are advanced classes, uh, aside from Christianity 101, there's advanced classes in uh, deepening and widening our ability to, to have an experiential knowledge of, of God's character and his goodness so that our trust in him uh, becomes uh, unmovable and, and unstoppable. And so this morning I want to pose first... Uh, just to let you know, this is the direction that we're going. We're going to be talking about trust matters and trust issues. And, and, and basically, our point will always be to the conclusion that trust does matter. Uh, but I want to just pose a couple of rhetorical uh, questions uh, for you to consider. Uh, can anyone, uh, and this is, again, rhetorical, can, can anyone think of name uh, the last three Heisman Trophy winners? Uh, who, who, who won the uh, Pulitzer Prize? last year for journalism? Uh, who won the Nobel Peace Prize? Can you, can, you, can you tell me the name of Miss Universe or Miss America? Who were the, who were the last several uh, winners of uh, the Academy Award for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor in 2011? Now, you're looking at me like you either, number one, you don't know, number two, you don't care, or if you did know, you probably forgot. And the reason for that being is that celebrity fame is fleeting. Celebrity fl- f- fame does not last. You'll soon be forgotten. And, and what I want you to know is this, that if we're to make an impact on our world, it won't be because we've become celebrities. It won't be because we've arrived at celebrity status. Rather, I, I believe that the impact that we want to make upon, especially the, our world, the people that we know and the people that we love, is, is to come to a childlike discovery, childlike discovery that God is good and God is great and that God can be trusted in every single thing. So I want to develop this idea with you this morning that, that really celebrity is fleeting, but a life that is fully in trust of God is a life that can be celebrated. And there's a vast difference between a celebrity and a life that's celebrated. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. One, one thought comes to mind very quickly. Uh, Daniel. No last name, just, just Daniel. And, and even people who don't know a lot about or don't much about the Bible have heard the name Daniel. That, that name Daniel has become famous even for those that maybe don't understand all of the details concerning his life, yet they know that Daniel, because of his unwillingness to compromise on his convictions, was cast into a den of hungry lions, that God sent an angel and shut the mouths of the lions and rescued Daniel, 
But it says specifically in Daniel 6.23, it says, because he trusted in the Lord. Because Daniel trusted in God, God delivered him. Now, I I want you to know, in my opinion, that if it if it worked the other way, if Daniel was mauled or, or just devoured by those lions, we still would be celebrating the life of Daniel because it's not his rescue that is the point of the story. It's not the angel that, that we know about. It's Daniel that we know about because of his unmovable trust in God. And therefore, if we're going to have a life that is celebrated by the people that we can influence, it's going to be because we have a wholehearted trust in the Lord, not leaning to our own understanding. I want to draw your attention to something the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians as an experience that is not uncommon to anyone who is a follower of Christ. And, and, and if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, you're, you're not a fully committed believer in Jesus Christ, and I, I'm glad that you're here this morning We've been praying for you, and we, and we pray that as you check things out, that you will discover that you can have a relationship with the living God, and that in this relationship with the living God, though, though, though we're not exempt from difficulties or hardships or troubles, right, but we have this tremendous advantage. Some of the, that came out in some of the songs that we sang this morning, we know that our God is with us. And because we know that our God is with us and that our our God is for us, we will not be afraid of whatever storm that we may have to face in this life. So Paul, writing about a storm that he faced in his life, I want to pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Uh, One translation says vessels. The word vessel and the word jars of clay, the, the idiom that is being used here, Paul was himself said to be a chosen vessel of God. And what Paul is talking about here is the treasure that we have in ordinary jars of clay. And by the way, jars that are made of clay, pottery that's made out of clay is very fragile. Uh, we often find, you know, after, the, uh, after a winter that whatever... Uh, Clay pottery has been left outside. Usually, you know, just it just disintegrates. It just falls. Over. It's cracked. It's, it breaks. It's it's very vulnerable, and and we are very vulnerable as human beings. But we have a treasure that's been deposited in us, and the treasure that Paul is talking about here is the glory of the knowledge of God that God has deposited within men to proclaim the message of Christ. Okay, and so he says that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the, that this all-surpassing power is from God, and it's not from us. It's not inherent in us, but it is from God. And then he says this, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And what Paul is saying in these scriptures is, though we are the apple of God's eye, that we are the object of God's love and affection through Jesus Christ. We are the objects of God's mercy and his kindness, right? But nevertheless, we are not spared from hardships and difficulties and trials and afflictions, okay? 
We're knocked down sometimes, but we're not knocked out. And that's so important to remember. But I want to pull out of the the sentences that I've just read, one phrase there that's in the middle of that eighth verse, and that is perplexed, but not in despair. And I want to talk to you specifically about our need to trust God in times of perplexity. In times when we can't figure out what God is doing, in times when, 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 when we just, there's a cloud of darkness that surrounds us, and we can't possibly put our, 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 or wrap our minds around what is taking place in our life, whether it's a trial that has to do with finances or health or, or relationships. We, we, we discover that the, the trial is only intensified because there's an element of mystery about it. We can't figure out what God's up to and, what, and what's going on. And I want you to know this, that I believe with all my heart that, that this, this knocks a trial into the stratosphere in terms of its difficulty. That is, that it compounds the, the, the difficulty of whether it's the finances, the relationship, the health issues, when there's that element of mystery and I can't figure this out, suddenly it just goes, it goes up exponentially as a trial. And so the pain of the trial itself is not just the issue, but the fact that I don't understand God. I don't understand why. Why God? You know, that, 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 that question why is something that has been asked many times by many different people. Moses asked the question, why, Lord? Gideon? Nehemiah, Naomi, I mean, Jeremiah, on and on. That question, and throughout the Psalms, there's, there's, there's this constant, you know, struggle of wanting to know why am I going through what I'm going through right now. I like what Charles Spurgeon uh, said about these mystifying situations. He said this, he says, we cannot always trace God's hand, but we can always trust God's heart. In other words, we can't always see God's hand active in our lives, but we can always trust that God is good and that God is great. We may not be able to figure out what's happening to us at this particular time. And, and that, like I said, it just, it just kicks up the exponential uh, difficulty of the trial so much. But you know what we need? We need to have a made-up mind. We need to have a posture, a, a, a positive disposition that says, no matter what, I will trust in God. I will put my confidence in God. That, that is a made-up mind. When the psalmist says, yet I will trust in the Lord, it is the directing of the course of his life in the way that a ship would set its sails, that that's the direction that I'm going to go in. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we have an, a clue as to what Paul was kind of talking about in this trial that was taking place in his life. And, and he gives us a, a little allurement to that in chapter one. And I want to look at that in chapter one in just for a minute. What was causing Paul such consternation? God was after deepening and widening this ability for Paul to put his trust and his confidence in God. So I want to look up in chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Follow along with me. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. Now the word Asia there means 
the locality, we're talking about Turkey. We're talking about Ephesus, the city of, of Colossae and, and, and those areas there in, um, in that part of the world. He says that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. No matter what Paul was going through, and there's a lot of different speculation as to Paul, what was he experiencing? He, he later writes in the 11th chapter of all of the perils that he had faced, being a night and a day in, in, in the ocean, be, being in perils of robbers and perils of his own countrymen. And in and, and, and times... Paul was lowered over a city wall in a basket to escape those that had plotted to conspire to take his life. And and there were so many instances that we can, but I I think it was something that was fresh in Paul's mind. And Paul, what basically Paul is saying so far is, look, I thought it was all over. I thought my life was gone. I despaired even of life itself. But there's a reason for it. And notice what he says in verse 9. Indeed, he says, we had this sentence of death within ourselves so that. I love that expression, so that. I'm going to do a series on the so that's of the Bible. I looked up in the, in, in the NIV. It's, there, are, there are 747 so that's in the Bible. I think we can find a bunch of them that are really good. I almost got excited because I got, I, got, I got confused for a minute when I saw 7, 747. I thought that was the address of the church. It's actually 787, but, but, but I figured, you know what? God has us here on the highway for a reason, to be a light to this community. And God has a so that purpose, even in Paul's experience. And he says, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Whatever dark tunnel Paul found himself in, whatever darkness that was surrounding him, Paul comes out of the other side having despaired of life itself, but having come out on the other side with a greater confidence in God and a greater ability to put his trust in God. And he asked, well, what was God after? God was simply after this. Paul, I don't want you to trust in yourself, to lean upon your own understanding, to rely upon your own plans and your own strength. I want you to come to the end of yourself so that you will completely lean upon me and be dependent upon me. Beloved, that's a great place to be. It's uncomfortable. But it's a great place for us to come to that place where we learn how to pull the fullness of our weight truly on God. And the reason why that's important is because trust matters. Because trust really matters. Now, I think it's so important because Paul, Paul talks about coming to the place of believing in a, in a God who was able to raise the dead. In other words, there, there can't be any more dire situation than once death has occurred. But, but God's proven himself to be, to be one that even in the face of death, God is not limited, that God has even raised his own son from the dead. And think about it. The, the, the most horrible thing that has ever happened in human history, the, the, the greatest tragedy that has ever happened, the greatest evil that was ever perpetrated in human history has turned out to become the greatest event in all human history, and I'm talking about the cross. And when we talk about the cross, we talk about the death of death and the death of sin as we know it in the person of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, listen, 
Because God has demonstrated what he can do, that he can, that he can cause even that which is ultimate evil to be, to be turned inside out and upside down and come out the other side as being the, the greatest event in human history, then you've got to ask yourself the question, is there anything too hard for God? That's what Paul has come to the place of realizing that, 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 that when I do not trust in myself but in the living God, then there is nothing too hard for God. Nothing shall be impossible with those that believe. A Jewish rabbi a number of years ago, uh, to answer some of these questions about difficulty and suffering and pain and all this stuff like that, he wrote a book, and, and the book was titled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Now, the only problem with the book is a good title, but the only problem with the book is that he suggests that while there is evil in the world, that God is helpless to do anything about the evil, that God is limitless is limit is limited, and therefore, because God wants to help good people, but he can't because he's limited. Now, I'm sorry, man. I do not hold that opinion. In fact, in fact, I would not be perplexed by that kind of a mindset, but I would be in, in despair if I believed that that was true about God. Because I believe what, true, what is true about God is that our God is not only infinite in his power, but he's absolute in his power. We talk about that, and I heard, I heard Leah mention the, the sovereignty of God this morning. We, we believe in the, the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God can be seen in God's supremacy, and God's supremacy means that he is over all of creation, over all of his creation, that, that there is none else like God, that God does what he wills, that he always does his, his good pleasure, that he's doing all things according to the counsel of his will, that none can stay his hand, none can frustrate him, none can thwart his purposes or his plans, that, that even the most minutest detail, the, the numbering of the hairs, my, the eyelashes that I have are numbered by God, that God knows it all. And, 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 and can I say something that's even gross? He knows the number of hairs that are growing in my ears. And when you reach my age, that's a problem. You know, how many of you know what I'm talking about? But God knows. He knows. He, he knows. He, he, God micromanages everything. And if you don't know that, then you don't know the power of the cross and the resurrection. Because there, everything was orchestrated by God for that one great and eternal purpose to show us, and to not only bring us into salvation, but to show us that God can be trusted even when we don't understand what's taking place. And I tell you, at the moment that Jesus was being crucified, no one could see any good coming out of this. No one could, could imagine, human minds could not imagine that there would be something great happening in this tragedy. But God brought about many sons unto God. And so what we're talking about this morning is is, is God ruling over all the affairs of human life by his providential, providential care of his children. I like what Charles Spurgeon wrote on the subject of the providences of God and the sovereignty of God. Listen to what he says. He says, there is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, that sovereignty will sanctify them all. 
There is nothing for which the children ought more earnestly to condemn, contend than for the teaching of their master over all creation. And I believe that, that God is, is not only master of the creation, the cosmos that he spoke into existence, but that God is greater than the cosmos. In his book, More Than Meets the Eye, Richard Swanson writes this about, about solar disturbances on the surface of the sun. And he has a point, so follow along with me. He reported that something took place in 1989, that there was a solar flare that, that, that was one million miles in diameter and traveled at the rate of one million miles an hour. He says that as a result of that, there was a blackout in Quebec that caused a, a Providence blackout. In New Jersey, there was transformers and coils that, that, that melted and that were set on fire. It, it caused a power outage at that particular time. He says, when confronted with facts like these, he says, I asked myself questions about God. If we could witness a magnetic field millions of miles in diameter, traveling at millions of miles an hour, is God not bigger than his universe? Can God move faster than that? If the center of the sun's temperature is 15 million degrees centigrade, pressure of 7 trillion pounds per square inch, is it possible for God to walk in the core of the sun and to come out again? And my response is that God Cannot, can, God can do anything. And if, and if that's so, please God that God can do that because the Bible clearly reveals that God upholds all things by the power of his word. Then, 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 then this gentleman who wrote this book went on to say this, that if God can do that, if this is how big God is, then why do men worry about whether or not God can help them order the footsteps of their lives? You see, it seems to me that our biggest struggle is not so much that we don't believe in the sovereignty of God or the, or the infinite power of God, but that, but that we are plagued by the perplexity of the trial that we're in. We ask the question, why? Why? I don't get it. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. I can't wrap my mind around this. But I suppose that I suppose that, that question of why is, it's not a bad thing. Listen, the, the, the greatest why that was ever asked was asked from the cross. Jesus quoted Psalm 22, verse one, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And that went unanswered. But that was one of the statements that Jesus made from the cross. And what is so comforting to know that is that Jesus can identify with my asking the question why. That Jesus enters sympathetically into the very trials that I'm going through because he himself has gone through the very same trials himself. It's not wrong to ask why. But the danger is, is that we make demands upon God to want to know all of the answers to all of our questions. And the danger then becomes that we are so demanding of God that we, we, we've got to know, God, answer, you've got to be accountable for all your dealings in my life. And, 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 and that is the problem. That is the, that is the bent in, or the tension in this trial that we have to avoid. 
See, David understood that God's ways are higher than his ways and his thoughts are higher than his thoughts. And in Psalm 131, I want us to look at for a couple of minutes this morning before we close, is a, is a trial that David entered into in a place of rest and trust. Though he found himself in a mysterious and a mystifying, baffling circumstance, nevertheless, David responds to God in the way that I believe that we should respond to God when we find ourselves in these trying and difficult circumstances. This is what unshakable trust looks like, beloved. Psalm 131. My heart, David says, is not proud. O Lord, my eyes are not hoardy. I do not concern myself with great matters of things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Okay, let's just break down these three verses. It's a short psalm, one of the shortest psalms that we have, but there's so, there's so much value in, in our understanding what's going on here. Number one, verse one, David recognizes that there are things that are, that are loftier than his ability to wrap his mind around. And so he's taken the posture of humility. It says, it says Lord, I, I'm, not, I'm not thinking about these great things. I'm not, I'm not thinking about things that are beyond my ability to, to comprehend. He's talking about things that are puzzling and things that are absolutely you know, astounding and causes men to stumble. I love what William Cowper said on the subject of the, the providence of God. He says, and you may know some of this, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Behind a frowning providence. When things in my life don't look like or, or, or they look like everything is going wrong. And I, and I don't sense God's presence. I can trust that behind the providence that's taking place, though I may not understand that there is a smiling face. And so when we talk about God micromanaging and God providentially leading all of the things into our life and around our life, what we're saying is both the things that are good and the things that are not so good, both the things that are pleasant and the things that are unpleasant, God orchestrates them all for a purpose. If you're a child of God, it's to deepen and widen your knowledge, your experiential knowledge that God can be trusted at all times. And yet there's this mysterious nature that, that David's talking about here. Something is happening to David that's out of the ordinary. David doesn't understand it. And I think we can, under, we can identify with, with David. We, we've, we've been there and, and done that. You know, God, what are you up to? Some of you may have heard the report that uh, was on Fox News not too long ago. Excuse me. It was a 911 call. On the other end of the line, there was a frantic wife who was, 
who was, who was calling 911 because her husband couldn't breathe. And on the other end of the phone was a snoring 911 operator. He was snoring throughout the whole time. She's saying, hello, hello, I need help. My husband can't breathe. And, and, and there's the recording of his snoring. Now, that uh, gentleman was, uh, uh, was, I don't know if he was terminated, but he was, you know, uh, what's that other expression? Uh, set aside until there was an investigation. But, but when he comes back on the line, he asks for the lady's address, not realizing that he had been on the line for six minutes with this woman and, and frantic, you know, and, and, and they finally got the EMS out to, to her and her husband's okay. But, but, but the reason why I mention that is because there are times in my life, there are times in your life when we cry out to God and there's a delay. There's, there's no answer. But I want you to know this, that God's delays are not because he's asleep. The Bible says that God never sleeps and he never slumbers. That God has a wise reason behind even his delays of coming to our rescue. Sometimes when God delays coming to the rescue, it's only because the good that's going to be brought out of it is going to be even better than we could have imagined. Just, just talk to Joseph and he'll tell you. Out of all the years that, that, that he was in trial, in prison, in being falsely accused, coming out of that, being made prime minister of Egypt, all of that God purposed for the good and for the saving of many lives. So in verse one, David takes this posture of humility. He says, he says Lord, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not proud. I'm, my eyes aren't hoardy. I'm not trying to concern myself with matters that are beyond my ability to comprehend. And so I think that that's a great place for us to be because the Bible says that God gives grace unto the humble. When you find yourself in the midst of a trial that you can't figure out what in the world's going on, the safest place to be is to just humble yourself before God. See, it's, not, it, it, it's, it's okay to ask the question why, but it's, it's wrong to press God for the answer. And one of the reasons is when, when, when we ask and become obsessive about the reason, and we, we begin to grow impatient. And, and, you know, Jesus said, with patience, we possess our souls. We become agitated. We, we, can become, we can become angry when we don't understand the reasons why for the present trials that we find ourselves in. But then David says this, and he uses this, this metaphor, this analogy to tell us that he's quieted his soul. And the way in which he's quieted his soul is as a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, you got to understand about a child that is, say, coming off of the bottle, that child that is, that is no longer being nursed. You know, you parents, you know that when your children went through that period where they've got, they got to give up the baba, you know, they got to throw away the bottle. They weren't happy about that. In fact, they were agitated about it. They, they didn't understand. And you know what? No, no mother tries to explain to a toddler. Now, the, the reason why I'm not nursing you anymore is because you need to start eating solid food. You need to be, begin to grow and mature. And, and being fed with milk at this point in your life is not going to be healthy or good for you. No, no, no mother's going to explain that. So there's this area of mystery that's going on. And the child doesn't understand that. And the child, 
is, is, is agitated and the child is, is, is sometimes angry. But then there comes, because of the loving and nurturing of that mother, that child, there, there comes to the, the point where the child begins to accept the wisdom of the mother on the basis of the character of the mother. I know my mother loves me. And though I don't understand what she's doing, you see, because, because this has been so satisfying, it's been so comforting, it's been so necessary all, all my life so far, but she's taken it away. But she must have a reason that she's taken it away. And so David says, just like a child, so I've come to that place in my life where like a weaned child, I may not understand, I may not like it, I may not, I may not be able to comprehend what's going on. But like a weaned child, I trust in the wisdom of another. I trust in the unfailing love of God and his care for me. Because while I may not be understanding this trial right now, I know my God cares for me. I, I know my God is for me. He's not against me. And therefore, I will put my trust in him. Now, David is responding in this way. And I want you to notice carefully that just like the child, David, has not learned the mystery of why he's experiencing what he's experiencing, but he's entered into that place of rest because he's resting on the character of another. He says, I have stilled my soul. You know, I love that verse of Scripture in Isaiah 30, verse 15. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Calm down when you find yourself in the midst of a trial. Still yourself. Which is, which is almost impossible to do when you find yourself in that trial. But that's the very thing that needs to be done to come into that connecting place with God. And then David does this. He takes his experience and he shares it with the community of faith. And he says in verse three, put your hope, that is wait for, place your trust in the Lord both now and forevermore. In other words, the sphere of influence that, that having gone through this because, because my heart is trusting in God, I can, my life can now be celebrated with those that are around me and I, can, and I can impart to them what I have learned. And what I have learned is that God is always worthy to be trusted. Like Paul, he's discovered that even in perplexity, that we are not in despair, that we are sometimes knocked down, but we are not knocked out. What I want you to walk away with this morning is knowing, listen, not just knowing a little something about trust, but that you can trust in God at all times, even when you don't understand. You can trust in God at all times, even when you don't understand. Let's close with this story. There's a little boy by the name of David. Coincidentally, his name is David. Two years old. You know, my wife and I, we've discussed this so many times. What is the most inexplicable thing is when children suffer. As Kathy was telling me this morning of a child that just recently passed away, a pastor's child that had been sick for a while they had been praying for. 
But this little, little, little boy, David, two years old, found out that he had leukemia. His mother, Deborah, takes him to Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston to a doctor by the name of Truman, who, John Truman, who was specializing in, in childhood cancers and blood diseases. And the prognosis was, was devastating, a 50-50 chance of survival. And then the beginning of the process of, of going to the clinics and having intravenous medications and needles and, 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 and all, of, all, all of this. From a mother's perspective, she would rather go through that than see her own child have to suffer in this way. But, but this little David, when he, when he walked into the clinic, he, he ran ahead of her with a smile on his face, never cried when he was in the, in the waiting room. Always knew that he was going to get a, a warm reception from, from his friends, even though they were going to stick him with needles. When he was three years old, after a year of enduring this kind of life experience, they had to perform upon him a um, spinal tap, which is painful, a painful procedure at any age. And his mother began to explain to him, Dr. Trubin has got to do something that's going to probably hurt you, but, he, but he's doing it because he loves you and he wants you to be made well. And the procedure was horrendous. It took three nurses to hold little David down. David was, was yelling and he was screaming and he was, he was sweating and he, and he was perspiring and, and he was shaking. And at the end of the procedure, he looked at Dr. Truman and he said to Dr. Truman, he said, thank you, Dr. Tooby, for my hurting. I just want you to know that if a little guy like that can go through a horrific experience, not fully understanding why, but trusting in those that, that love him, that it's for his best and it's his good, can we not put our confidence in a God whose love is unconditional, who's proven his love for us by the demonstration of having sent his only begotten son for us, that through him we might have life and have it more abundantly. Again, I say, it's not a bad thing to ask the question why. But I, I think that in light of what Jesus said from the cross, when he said, why are you so far from helping me? Why have you forsaken me? I think that that why swallows up all the whys in my life. I know it, sw- it swallows up all the, all, all the whys that I will ever have. And bring me to a place of trust that if Jesus did not have his why answered, but put his trust in God, and ultimately he said, into your hands I commend my spirit, Father, that that is one of the things that we need to do on a daily basis, that into our Father's loving hands that we need to commend ourselves. Augustine said, trust the past to God's mercy, trust the present to God's love, and trust the future to God's providence. And the reason for that being is because trust matters, but God can be trusted even when we don't understand. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning. As we kicked off this series today, Lord God, I pray that grace, oh God, Lord, would be upon us, that your love and mercy, oh God, 
would be with anyone that is presently going through the kind of trial that I spoke of this morning, the kind of mystery and baffling and bewilderment that we sometimes face ourselves in? Would you let grace be given to the humble this morning? So we, we want to humble ourselves. We want to set the, the sails of our heart, the posture of our being, and declare it like the psalmist, I will trust the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. So Father, I do pray, Lord God, if there's any here this morning that has never made that transaction, never made that connection of putting their trust in you as Savior, that they will do that today with a simple reaching out to you in faith. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Bring me into a a relationship with you. Enter me into this, this class of learning how to put my trust in you. That's our heart's desire this morning. Can we all stand together and worship one more time today?